Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Welcome back into College Golf Talk. Bradley here with a very special guest, uh, Steve Burkowski on vacation as he refuels and recharges for two more college fall events on the Golf Channel. So subbing in or pinch hitting uh, as co-host this week is one of my favorite people in college golf. He actually has his own radio show on Sirius XM, PGA Tour Radio, Beyond the Tips, every Wednesday night. And that's Florida State men's head golf coach and director of golf, Trey Jones. Trey, thanks for coming on College Golf Talk. Really? It's, it's an honor to be on with you. And uh, I hope, uh, hope Berko's having a good time right now. Yeah, hopefully he's not eating too much ice cream. He, he got into a little bit... Uh, bit of trouble up there in Wisconsin during the during the Ryder Cup. But lots to discuss on this episode. We've got uh, J.R. Smith's college golf debut. We've got some match play events going on in the SEC, the, the Big 12. Um, and we'll ask you a little bit about your program and some of your former players, including Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger, and all that. So, But first, we got to uh, talk about how College Golf Talk guys uh, Brought to you by Velocity Global. We're really excited to have them on board. Uh, Velocity Global seamlessly connects employers and talent, anyone, anywhere, anytime, anyhow. Its global work platform is built on cloud-based technology, compliance expertise, and unmatched scale in 185 countries in all 50 U.S. states. The world of work is forever changed. Talent can live anywhere, work for anyone, and get the job done. More than a 1,000 businesses engage top talent in another state or another country without the need to set up a foreign entity or registration. And rely on Velocity Global to make it simple and compliant. Velocity Global accelerates the future of work. To learn more, visit velocityglobal.com slash golf. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. So, Trey, now uh, before we get into all that's happened in the college golf world the past few days, I want to talk a little bit about Ryder Cup. You had two former players, Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger, uh, not only on the U.S. team, but they played together in a match. That was the first time that had happened. I went back into the, the history books. Uh, the last time that happened was 1995. Wake Forest, another ACC school, Jay Haas, Curtis Strange, they did it. Kind of looking back now, it's been a few weeks, but what did that mean to the program to be able to have those guys not only represent your team, but do it together in the same match? Well, it was it was amazing for the program, or all our donors, everyone that's involved with Florida State, but more importantly for them, you know, to, to see those guys, because Brooks was a senior here when Daniel came in, and, and Truth be known, Brooks is dad, and Brooks were one of the reasons we recruited Daniel. They're, hey, you know, same part of the world. Brooks is from Wellington. Daniel's from uh, Miami area. So uh, they were the ones who kept telling me about him, and we went to watch him. And so it was, it was always a big brother, little brother thing uh, while they were here. And they've both obviously been ultra successful. But 
uh, we were fortunate enough to have Daniel here in town for the uh, Notre Dame game. And he had mentioned this was the day before the, the selection that um, about the process and, and what he thought would happen. But uh, for some reason, I always felt like they were going to put them together. If, if you listen to uh, Captain Stricker talk about it, he'd say, you know, and we even have some guys on the same college team. And he kept sending them out together. So it was uh, it was great to see. And, and for the uh, wonderful fans, my gosh, up there in Kohler, for them to be doing the war chant when those two came out was, uh, you know, unbelievable honor for all of us. Yeah, that's something that will be forever in FSU golf social media lore is that, that video from from Whistling Straits. So, so th- these are two competitive guys. I mean, Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger, two real alphas. Um, what was it like, kind of their dynamic together? Do you have any stories from the competitiveness, maybe in a qualifier or, or something between the two of them? Yeah, absolutely, because I think every freshman that comes into, uh, you know, extremely high-level freshman, which, you know, they both were, um, they're ultra-competitive, and they want to make their mark. They're not, you know, they don't want to ride in the back of the bus. They want to, they're, they're used to leading it. That's why you just call them alpha guys. Uh, but in, in the reality of it, it is very tough for the freshman to come in and do that. So um, it took Daniel probably till March of his freshman year to get comfortable with college golf and everything he needed to do. And once he did that, he could have been our best team, our best player on our team. We played a regional in Norman, Oklahoma, and then we played the national championship at Riviera. And he was phenomenal. He finished 18th there. So, um, but neither one of them, you know, even their age, he, he would look up to him. Brooks would look, you know, look after him a little bit, but uh, I don't think either one of them would admit to it, them not being the guy. <laughs> Now, speaking of Ryder Cup, it kind of brings me to something that both of us have talked about in the past, and that's bringing a Ryder Cup-style rivalry match to college golf where you have the Florida, Florida State, the Duke, North Carolina, the Oklahoma, Texas, maybe during the fall, kind of bring in some alumni. But talk a little bit more about that and kind of uh, what we had talked about in the past and kind of your ideas to maybe bring some of that Ryder Cup excitement and energy to college golf. Really, I think the Golf Channel is responsible for a lot of that because of the format that, that we have for the national championship and our ultimate goal is to prepare our players for that national championship. But but more than anything, when you see the PGA Tour um, going to different formats, whether it's a WGC match play or the event that they have in New Orleans where you have a partner, um, we, we got to remember these guys have got to have fun. they got to continue to have fun. they got to enjoy themselves and uh, if you ever look out there and they look like they're working and they're in college, then uh, we need to kind of reexamine what we're doing. And I think the match play aspect of it brings even more of a team aspect into an individual sport. And when you when you ask our players what's the greatest thing about college golf, they will tell you that it's the team aspect. What they miss, what does Brooks miss? Is traveling with the team, winning with the team. Um, not that it's bad to, to, to win $2 million and go get on your private airplane, but uh, it, it is nice to, to, to be in an, in an old smelly van with your teammates as well. Now, let's kind of use Florida, Florida State as an example. I know that robbery wasn't played last year because of COVID and all the schedule stuff, but normally uh, every year a pretty uh, hard-fought battle and uh, you know back and forth, some really great games throughout the year. But kind of using that rivalry as an example, what would kind of the ideal – one-day Ryder Cup event look like? Uh, I, I've said it for a while. I really wish the NCAA would allow us, each team, 
to play some weekend matches during the fall that don't count toward our 24. And as long as you don't miss school and you're there and back, what, what a great opportunity for Georgia and Georgia Tech to play each other when at the other one's place and have the fans come out prior to that football game and get to see amazing golfers and then, and then potentially have your professional golfers come out and do something as well. I think we're missing the boat. I really do. Uh, and you ask how I think that would work out the best, exactly like the Ryder Cup. If you don't have to count it, then, then play a alternate shot, play, play a four ball, do something different. Uh, that can really, really, really put some pressure on a player. We, we were fortunate enough, as you know, to play in the Barber Nicholas Cup a couple weeks ago. And to have the men and the women playing together, we just had a meeting with them today. It puts a lot of pressure on them, you know, because they don't want to leave the other one in a bad spot. So it's a completely different thing that you can learn from your players and they can learn from each other. Uh, but the teamwork is, uh, it's, it, it is phenomenal. So I would, I would copy the Ryder Cup. I don't think there's any reason to change that. And I agree. Um, as long as you don't miss any school, what's, what's the harm in Florida and Florida State having an annual match on the other one's golf course uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning? I think I think it's nothing but positives that could come out of that. Especially during the sleepy fall season where a lot of these you know top tour guys are, are not playing. If you could get Brooks Kepka and Billy Horschel to show up the Friday at, at Mark Bostic or at Seminole Legacy um, and play an alternate shot with maybe Brooks Kepka and Brett Roberts first, Ricky Castillo uh, and Billy Horschel. That'd be awesome. You could you could sell tickets. You could promote the game. Everyone's already in town. I think I think you're onto something, Trey. But r- real quick about the Barbara uh, Nicholas Cup. I mean, gr- at, at a great course in in Muirfield Village. But how many milkshakes? <laughs> well, they, they were very intelligent about that because when you have a, you know, a women's field of, um, and a men's field of four teams, they, they did not bring the milkshake machine out until the last day. That was our parting gift. And, and one of the best, probably a uh, player gifts that we had all year long. So it was, uh, I, I think it was an event where they didn't want to get that train rolling too early. Now, speaking of match play events, we're going to move into kind of the news aspect of uh, of this podcast, the tournament recaps. Uh, first off, we had the SEC match play this week uh, at Shoal Creek, a new event, um, pretty pretty exciting. Um, Arkansas ro- rolling uh, a lot of momentum from the blessings the week before. They get it done again. They beat Vanderbilt in the final match. Uh, ton of transfers on this Arkansas team. Brad McMakin is really attracted a lot of these different guys from Segundo Pinto from UNC Wilmington and Luke Long, uh, who had another strong week after winning at the Blessings. Trey, you've kind of uh, dipped into this transfer pool a little bit over the last two years. Can you just speak to how that's kind of transformed this game? I mean, it, it seems like more and more guys are transferring and more and more guys are actually having success, whether you look at an RJ Mankey at Washington or last year when you had Vincent Norman come in and contribute. So just talk a little bit about how that's transformed what you guys do as a coach. I think think there's a few different layers to that, and it has changed college golf, and will continue to do that. You know, you had the COVID aspect of it where people got an extra year that weren't planning on having another year to play college golf. So they said, okay, if I get an extra year, um, I've graduated or I'm close to graduating, um, 
can I go somewhere different? Or that's where you've seen some Division II players make a transition or, or somewhere else. But And then you have the grad students, the ones that are graduating uh, early, and they're, they're wanting to go to grad school somewhere else. And, and every once in a while, the school that they're at, Brentley just doesn't have the major that they're looking for, or one that they would, you know, would want to go to. Uh, and and then the competitive aspect of it, you know, you look at an Arkansas and Coach Brad McMahon, um, some of the players uh, that might not be interested in Arkansas out of prep golf, out of high school, when they get into college golf, they understand how good they are. They understand the culture that Brad has and, and that this is truly a top 10 program every single year. So in short, they're probably a more educated recruit at that point in time. And they understand that they're going to be on a great golf team, obviously playing great golf courses. I mean, I think, what did they play this year? They played the Carmel cup. They played at the blessings and, and they, they just got through playing at Shoal Creek. So that, and now they're going to play next week at, at the Stevens cup uh, where we're going to be at in a lotion. So I, th- I think it's a pretty good place to be. And, um, I believe the transfers probably realize that a little bit more than the um, 16-year-olds do. Now, you you also coached at a smaller school. You were at Georgia State uh, before you came to Florida State a couple, almost two decades ago now. Um, But is there kind of a double-edged sword where you could potentially have a Chris Goddard from Rutgers leave for for bigger and, and, and better things? It really is, and and that's you know that's the thing that with Division Two golf is that going to end up becoming uh, with their rules and their things that going to end up becoming a, a JUCO situation and where people even go into the school telling the coach, hey, I'm going to come here, but I'm going to come here for two years, and then I'm going to get in the portal, then I'm going to go somewhere else or do a go at it that way because you know ultimately you follow recruiting uh, way more than I do, and I'm in the middle of it. I don't know but, about that. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're only bringing in one to three guys a year, okay? And then you're going to have somebody that misses or don't miss. And um, there's going to be some people that have always wanted to go to Arkansas. And I, th- I think Arkansas has that right now. Obviously, uh, John Davis second. But uh, I believe Luke Long's from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Also played and, for four different teams, too. This right. is a fourth <laughs> college. Well, uh, I think he's figured it out at this point. But he's but he's a, he's he's where he wants to be. I have a guy in Connor Futrell right now. Connor Futrell came from Troy University. He's from Tallahassee. Went to Childs High School. You know, every Saturday he was pulling for Florida State, and, and now he gets to put on the jersey. So um, a little bit of that goes as well. Uh, I think the other thing, too, is our rosters are massive right now. Uh, it's going to change a little bit as, as the um, we get over the COVID and, and we start to get a better grasp of how many people are on our golf team. Mm-hmm. Now, moving on to another big event. This event is actually still going on as we speak, so we apologize that we don't have the final result, but uh, Texas and Texas Tech battling right now at Houston Oaks, Big 12 match play. Uh, as I said, that will wrap up today. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State going toe-to-toe in the third-place match. Moving on to the women's side, Illinois Women's Invitational, Georgia and Louisville, they both share the title. And speaking of transfers, uh, Emily Price from Kent State, she was formerly at South Carolina. She wins the individual medal. And second place is LSU's Kendall Griffin, who just transferred to Louisville this offseason. So the theme of transfers, again, uh, it's just a real you know hot topic in college golf, and it's really cool to see. Um and moving on to what I think was probably the most interesting story of the week, and I think, Trey, you're going to agree with me, uh, but 
J.R. Smith playing college golf. He makes his debut on Monday uh, at the Elon Phoenix Invitational up in North Carolina. Two-time NBA champion. Uh, I mean, Trey, have you ever seen anything like this? A, a, a guy who played 16 years in the NBA, and now he's a college golf freshman. I, th- I think it's amazing. I hope we see more of it. I really, I really do, because how cool of that is, is for his teammate. And there, there's so much that anyone that's at the top 1% of their profession can share with other people. It doesn't have to be in the same sport, uh, but when it happens to be, it's amazing. Uh, so I, I do hope we see some other guys go back and say, no, I want to – I want to go back to college. I'm going to finish my degree. I didn't get to get my degree. I'm going to do that. And what better way than to play college golf and, and the experiences that you could uh, with that. So hopefully we see that a little bit more. But, hey, let's go skip over the fact really quick that that Illinois women's golf tournament was at Medina. So <laughs> that was a, I looked at that on there and I said, oh, good. Hey, they didn't get one up by Mike Small and going to Olympia Fields. They just went ahead and had their golf tournament at Medina. But uh, to, flip, to flip back around on you there, uh, I, I play golf uh, from time to time with Tom Glavin. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough to a huge Braves fan and to be uh, friends with Tom and play with him. And they'll tell you, I mean, it's different. When they play in that Tahoe deal and they go out and play, they, it's a different type of pressure for them. It's real. It's, it's no different than us. So um, to watch them try to handle that is, is uh, really interesting. I think we need to, uh, you know, me being a huge Braves fan right now, and shout out to the Braves for getting through the National League Championship Series. But I think we got to, I think you got to set me up uh, with a round or something at Seminole Legacy with with uh, with with Glavin. I mean, that that, that sounds like the next or, order of business there. Hey, let me tell you, he is an unbelievable guy. He's, he's exactly who you think he is. Um, the pre-shot routine is the exact same. I almost died the first time I played with him. Because I watched every game. And when he would get on the back of the mound and shrug his shoulders and then walk it, you know, walk up to the rubber, it's the same thing he does walking into the golf ball to the tee. And he's left-handed and has a lot of speed. But like to, he's an awesome guy and um, plays golf down at Camp Creek and Sharks Tooth uh, at the Water Sound Club. So uh, we'll, get you, we'll get you down there, and then, then we'll make it happen. Perfect, perfect. Now, I, I want to read you this quote from, from J.R., um, from, from Tuesday, uh, he says, quote, I got a lot of great feedback. Chris Paul was telling me guys were talking about it in the locker room. Guys are really looking for my scores, so I got to take care of business. So when I see them, it ain't going to be too much backlash. Now he shoots 83-78-79. He finishes 81st out of 84 players. But what's your kind of take of of what he's talking about, how Chris Paul is watching him and and just how committed he seems to be to getting better because I, I can almost bet that he's not going to shoot those scores again. I think he, there's, you're going to see a huge improvement from that first to second event. Well, once again, I mean, what do we ask all of our players every time? How good are you at self-assessing? And, and that's the main thing after a golf tournament is can you self-assess your, and what do you do from that? Well, he's obviously at a high level. He knows how to self-assess. He said, I'm looking for feedback when the quote you just said, and that's the feedback that, that he's going to get. What can he get more comfortable with? What can he get better with? Um, you're exactly right. He, he will continue to get better without a question. And, and 83, 78, 79, even though he might've finished 81st out of 84 for the people at home that think it's easy, or I get, I get donors every once in a while. Oh my gosh, you know, you, 
your, your, your player shot 75, 76, 77. I can beat him. I'll play that course. I can beat him. It, it's not apples to apples. When, when you're putting out three footers and they're downhill left to right and um, you're playing for a golf team, it, it, there's a whole lot more to it than, than it is just to go out there on a Tuesday afternoon. Could a scratch player play Division One college golf? Because I, I, I've seen this. There's a debate on Twitter right now between unnamed golf media types that who, who may be a scratch player, may be a plus two. Could that guy play college golf? Absolutely. I, I think they could play Division One. I. I just don't know where they would play in <laughs> Division One. Probably not for Florida State. But I, I do think if there's, but I think the other thing with our handicap system. If the scratch golf came off of tournament competition, then I think they would probably have a chance. But if it came off playing at their home golf course, then who knows at that point in time? Because I've I've seen a lot of plus ones and plus twos that 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 truthfully couldn't play college golf. Now we have to talk about J.R. Smith's run-in with the Beehive. Uh, he his push cart rolls over a yellow jacket nest in the ground in the final round. Actually, pretty pretty serious because I've I've heard some some really um, terrible stories in, involving uh, bee stings. So when I initially saw that and saw the video, I, I, I was very concerned. Luckily, it turned out that everything was fine. He finished the round. He seemed to be doing well. Uh, but that could be a pretty uh, scary situation. Have you ever had anything like that um, as a coach to one happen to one of your players? Whether it, it doesn't have to be a bee sting, but something that was almost like, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe this has happened. I've had a player go for his head cover in the first fairway at the ACC tournament and get a bee sting. Um, the one that really sticks out in my mind is, uh, have you ever been to the Bulls Bay tournament over in uh, Charleston, the Houdin, the Houdin Bulls play? I, I, I haven't, but that's in it, it's in Charleston, right? That's in Charleston, yeah. and they have a large longhorn bull that's named Tidewest and it's tied to the tree in the 18th hole. And they have this massive, Swires built this uh, massive build up to the clubhouse. So you're up on this hill, all man-made, looking down at the whole golf course. And this commotion is going on. And the bull has sat on a hornet's nest. And as it sat on it, obviously it got affected pretty bad and had a chain neck, chain around his neck and snapped the chain. Didn't, break the tree, snapped the chain in two. It was so eager to get out of there. So we had a mad bull with hornets chasing it, running down the fairways. And obviously Florida State wears garnet. So it was not a good thing. And we had uh, NC State as well. It was the two teams. And you should have seen the players scrambling on this golf course because literally there was a bull loose uh, running around, not not jogging, not looking around. And it took them about four holes uh to grab the golf carts, go out and gently uh, bring Titleist back to its uh, rightful place. But uh, as far as Hornets go, that's the only one. That's the one that jumps out in my mind. You should have had Brooks go out there and tackle it. <laughs> have done that. So Matt Savage was on our team, and, and, and he kind of chased him up on the, a pond uh, where there's a cross tie, and there were two gators in the pond and a bull on one side. So he was about to have to make a hard decision. <laughs> That's that's a great story. I'm I, I am I, I'm almost speechless, Trey. But uh, <laughs> hey, I want to ask this. So one thing that I have been taught in the media and and, and when I do my radio show is 
never be afraid to say something controversial. You know, people listening, they want to hear some things. What in the world is J.R. Smith doing with a push card? I mean, I mean, that, that's my thing. I mean, come on, of all the people, throw the thing on your back, dude, and, and tote it around. Come in, and, 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 and he probably got a bad back or something that they won't let him. But uh, anyway, I'm going to pick on him a little bit there. He's not, hey, once he gets into college golf world, we, he's, he's fair game, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I will say the, the push cart nation had – was really growing kind of middle of this decade. Uh, I, I think Stanford like yes. really got the ball rolling. Um, they came out with that study, I think where it actually um, helped your back to, to, to push the cart instead of carrying your bag. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, I will say I've seen it kind of maybe get a little less prevalent over the last couple of years. I don't know if you've noticed that, but um, again, I mean, J.R. Smith, I mean, he, he's got his hands full. It's his first college golf event. I, I, I got no issues with the push cart, Jr. but, uh, again. Uh, I, I think you and I can pull it off easier than him. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give him, you know, a little bit of a brag first. But uh, that, that surprised me when you said that. That would be a funny sight to see him uh, with, with the push cart. So, I almost needed a push cart uh, playing your guy's course. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm not opposed to having one. I'm, I'm 54. I mean, I, I can rock a push cart uh, any day of the week. Uh, but, uh, man, that, that did surprise me a little bit with him. But good, good for him, though, for getting out there. And, and that's, that's another thing that I try to bring out. You know, when, when you see these professional athletes get out and play, Steph Curry do some things, whether it's Tony Romo and they don't, play as well as people think they should, you still have to admire them for putting themselves out there and putting that name on the leaderboard and not sitting back and saying, oh, I could do this, I could do that. That takes a pretty strong person because they're they're kind of setting themselves up for failure to go out in an arena that they're not comfortable with, with a lot of people watching and judging. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, yeah, Steph Curry going out and playing those Corn Ferry Tour events and almost making the cut. Um, now, I, I I almost don't put Romo quite into that category anymore because I don't think he's finished. I mean, you're talking about saying something controversial. I don't think he's finished a tournament in, in, in a while. Um, so hopefully yeah, he can get back to finishing tournaments. But anyways, uh, moving on to, to – uh, another segment of the pod that we visit every week, that's the PGA Tour University rankings, uh, Velocity Global rankings. Um, those just came out today. A lot of movement. Um, Trey, your, your player, John Pack, a year ago was a number one the entire year. No one no one caught him. Uh, he ended up earning his Corn Ferry Tour status. However, we already have a change at number one this year. This week, Sam Bennett, Texas A&M, bumps Pearson Cootie from Texas out. Um, some other movement on the, uh, or inside the top 15. R.J. Mankey, we talked about him earlier. Washington uh, senior or grad student. Pepperdine transfers, got two wins, three other top threes this season. He moves up four spots into the top 10, two eight. Jacob Bridgman from Clemson drops three spots. So that's kind of some of the movement. But just real quick about PGA Tour U, Trey. Uh, you were kind of in the early discussions for this and um it's so just kind of talk about now that you've seen this program and having a player who was really in the thick of things the entire year what what are your thoughts about it what is it what does it bring uh in terms of you know 
benefits or positivity uh, to the game of college golf? It's an absolute game changer. And, and just my hats off for the PGA Tour for doing this. Um, before, our players had nowhere to go. When they got finished playing college golf, uh, it was up to the agents. It was up to their resume to give them starts and to get a chance. And now there is a direct avenue for them. And they can see the live scoring. And Brendan Van Doren headed this up from the PGA Tour and just did an amazing job. I remember sitting in there um, in the committee a few years ago. We didn't know what they were going to present to us, but they they sure did. And uh, they, they came back with that. And, and I'll tell you from John Pack's benefit, to be able to play in those events right after you get finished is a huge thing. But the main thing is right now, the top five guys are exempt into the Corn Ferry Finals. So they're not going through second stage this week and next week. That is the biggest benefit for them. The other benefit is with their manufacturers and with their agents, um, it lets them make a different decision because they control their destiny a little bit more right now. And and PGA Tour U is, is keeping people in college. You know, if you're a junior and you have a decision to make and you think you can get this, well, that's going to be a better deal than you're going to get on your own. So um, I think you're going to see, which I know you like, Brentley, I think you're going to see the best players stay in college golf. And it's going to even recruit some players to come to college golf probably that, that might not. Yeah, my my biggest ask now moving forward is that they do something like this for the women's game because as we're going to probably see this year, too many of the top women's college golfers are turning pro after their freshman or sophomore season. So that's something that I'd like to see. Now kind of projecting ahead to next week, um, some some big tournaments uh, going on. Uh, the annual event at, at Isleworth, which was canceled last year, that's always one that I like to get out to, being right down the street. So that's going to be Sunday through Tuesday. Stanford women are going to be hosting their event at Stanford Golf Club next week. The Ruth Chris Tar Heel Invitational on the women's side. So between those two events, probably 95% of the best teams in women's college golf are going to be between those two events. But the one event that I want to touch on Trey, and we kind of touched on it earlier is the Jackson T Stevens cup, um, a new event going to be on golf channel Monday through Wednesday, the tournament uh, actually named in honor of uh, a former chairman of Augusta national golf club, uh, Jackson T Stevens. Uh, he was also the co-founder of Stevens Inc, uh, which is little rock based but it's at a very cool venue, a lotion club in Rowan, Arkansas, um, just as pure as it gets. Next year, it's going to Seminole, the year after Trinity Forest. So uh, real quick on the format, and then I'll get your thoughts, but six, men, or six men's teams, six women's teams, uh, Arkansas, Florida State, Notre Dame, Arizona, Bama, and San Diego State on the men's side, Ole Miss, LSU, Arkansas, Baylor, South Carolina, and Virginia on the women's side. That that women's field is really, really stacked. Um, and then there's also some individuals um, from HBCUs, uh, service academies. So just a, um, a great field, great event. That's going to be each day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. I actually believe the first day it may be 4 to 7 p.m., but 27 holes of stroke play the first two days. And then the last day, match play. Um, so Trey, uh, I know that, that was a lot, but, uh, you obviously, you know, know what the format is, or I would hope so, but, uh, just talk about how excited you guys are to go from one match play event to now even get more experience at this, uh, Jackson T Stevens cup. 
Well, the, the verse we heard about this, Mark, Mark Oscarson called me and uh, uh, Brazel are running the golf tournament for the Stevens uh, family. And what a cool concept to be able to take your players to the Elotion Club and to, to play on this and then obviously be on the Golf Channel. I mean, every time you guys have an event that I'm not in or our team's not in, uh, or Florida State, um, I get asked, hey, what do we got to do to get in that or why aren't we playing in that? So uh, you guys have been just a massive influence on a lot of these events. And um, once again, but the people who are doing this stuff, you know, once again, it, whether it's the tournament um, at Merido or, or it could be at uh, the Blessings or the Jack Stevens Cup uh, at Lotion, they're putting out a lot of money and they're going to do a lot of work to get the sponsorship for these things and hats off to them. So, so they're taking college golf to another level and, and you guys are just providing the, the vehicle for it, but the interest in it as well. You, um, I, I don't think there's a lot of people that, that know college golf uh, as well as you do. And, and, and on Burko and, and then of course, Lance Ring, we're on the golf week side. So, uh, but uh Hats off for the people who are going and raising all this money, donating the money. We're starting to get some charities involved to be able to give these opportunities for these players. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Yeah, it's amazing how the sport has evolved and um you know, kind of jumping in the time machine, you know, uh, well, we're going to wrap things up here pretty shortly, but going back uh, to the mid 2000s, you get the job at, at Florida State. Um, I'm kind of envious of this, but you were or had the privilege of working alongside uh, the late, great Bobby Bowden, um, the great football coach who retired in 2008, sadly passed away uh, this past August. Um, we, we've heard tons of stories about coach Bowden and obviously everything that he did on the field, but also some of the things that he did off of it. Do you have one story that kind of sticks out that really speaks, uh, to the man he was, because even though all of my family, just putting this out there, big Florida Gator fans, uh, I still always had, uh, respect for, for coach Bowden. You had to love those times where you had Coach Bowden and Coach Spurrier, and both of them were, were so smart, so witty. And when they get the mic in front of their hands, and, and Coach Bowden would always call him Stevie. And Stevie just likes to need, I really like Stevie, but he just likes to needle things. He just likes to stir it up. And then obviously, uh, Coach Spurrier would always call Florida State FSU. He would never refer to us as Florida State. So, so they would, they still, you know. Uh, they would still do that if they had the opportunities. But, um, you know, as far as a person goes, I mean, it's he always had time for you, and he had a gift that I've I've tried to learn, but I think it's more of a gift than anything else. He would have the ability that whoever came to see him, it didn't matter if it was myself who knew him or someone else, that by the time they left him, he would make them feel like they did him a favor by coming by to talk to him. So if you were playing the Legacy Club and you would come out and I said, hey, Coach Bowden, I want you to meet a good friend of mine, Brentley Romine. By the time y'all got talking, he'd have found three mutual friends and you'd have left there and he'd say, I really want to thank you for coming over and saying hello. And, and that's a gift. It really is. But my story is this one. So we have a practice area. We have a tee on one end and a tee on the other. And because he would always stop and talk to people, he couldn't get from one end down 
to the other without talking to a lot of people because he just would do that. So I had a gate put in for him so he could walk through as a walk gate. And then they also, at the same time, were putting a, a construction gate. And so I showed him how to use it. Coach, you can park your car down here. I had a den caddy with his name on it. Obviously, I still have that. And we just put that one den caddy in the corner of the tee box every single day, hoping he'd show up. And then when he did, he would do it. He really liked to use it a lot to get acclimated, as he would say, to the, to the heat. And then one year I saw that he had figured out how to open up the gate, the, the, the driving gate, and he pulled his car in there five yards, you know, graciously just kind of pulled it in there. And then I looked again, you know, a few days later, a week later, and, and the car's a little closer to the tee. And um, it was a bigger car. And um, I get a call probably a week after, two weeks later, the general manager of the club says, hey, I need you to do me a favor. He says, Coach Bowden's got his car on the tee box. I'm going to need you to go talk to him. And it was a Mercedes S500. And he had parked it on the tee box. I mean, when I tell you he parked it on the middle of the tee box, and he had literally just opened the door and he was hitting golf balls, starting right there. And uh, I, I mentioned to the general manager, I said, listen, I said, there's a lot of things I'm going to ask him to do. I said, I'll ask him if I can wash the car. I'll ask him if he needs whatever he wants to do. I'll ask him if he wants to drive it to the first hole. But I'm not going to ask him to move that car. I promise you that. And uh, I remember telling him that after he kind of quit golf later on, and he, he, he laughed about it. But um, just always have time for you, you know, the greatest person. And uh, that's my my biggest fear, though, was because he would always want to use that to acclimate. It'd be 105 degrees, and he'd be down there in old school. He'd be sweating so hard. I was like, you know, please, please don't have a heat stroke on my driving range, coach, whatever you do. No. Well, Trey, uh that was the perfect way to, you know, close the pod, uh, talking about the great Bobby Bowden. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you like us all miss him every day. And, uh, you know, he really did a lot of great things for not only Florida state, but college athletics in general. And, um, so, but want to thank you for coming on college golf talk and not just coming on as a guest, you really stepped up, stepped up to the plate, um, filled in for Burko while he's probably eating ice cream somewhere on the beach. Um, but hopefully Burko is pacing himself and uh, he'll be back back at it next week. So for Trey Jones, I'm Brentley Romine, and that was College Golf Talk. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.